You're going to remember this every day for the rest of your life. If you want to get to a goal, if you want to get to your dream, you've got to focus on all the little steps. You have to put in your time. You have to be patient and you have to enjoy the process. Whatever you're doing now, whatever you want to be great at, whatever you want to be special at, I'm sure you, you maybe already be good at it. But to be extraordinary, you have to do extra. I firmly believe that we are all here for a very specific reason. To do something truly extraordinary. But what are you going to do to get there? Welcome to the Mark Megna Method Podcast, and today my guest is Chris Pacello, entrepreneur, nightclub presario, and all-around good guy. Chris, thank you very much for being here. We're lucky to have you. Welcome. It's my pleasure. Thank you for the invite, Mark. Absolutely. So, Chris, I know that you know we have a connection with a project we work on, but I really wanted to have you here. Um, it was a suggestion of a friend of mine. I said, Chris, I know he hates to do interviews. He doesn't want to do this, but I'm a, the people who get what they want are the ones who ask for it. So I said, what do you think? And I basically asked him today. And I, caught, I think I caught him off guard, but he's here. So honestly, I really appreciate it. So Chris, you know, you've been big in Miami, uh, big in nightclubs, very successful. And I know you to uh, put a lot of time in, to put a lot of hours in. Tell us about your start. Tell us where you're from, where you grew up. You're from Brooklyn, correct? Yeah, originally I grew up in Brooklyn. Uh, I, I was in Brooklyn for about 16 years, and then I ended up moving to Staten Island when I was about 16 years old. 16 years old, and then, you know, you grow up there, uh, childhood in New York, and then at what age do you decide to head to Miami? So, so I lived in Staten Island until about... 20 when I was 21 I started visiting Miami my brother came back from uh, South Beach he came down here for spring break and you know he kept telling me how much he loved it that I got to go check it out and the spring break spots at that time were Cancun and you know we, we decided to come down to Miami and from the from the first day I fell in love with it after that I was coming down every other weekend every chance I got to get out of Staten Island I knew I wanted to live in Miami and that was a, a big goal of mine at the time so I, I think I have a pretty good understanding of why people fall in love with Miami but tell me tell the people that live in maybe the Midwest why it's easy to fall in love with a place like Miami what did you like so much about Miami what appealed to you well, obviously, you know, the sun and the beaches and the palm trees, I wasn't used to that growing up. Uh, I never traveled much as a kid. Uh, you know, Brooklyn, you know, finding sun, I mean, beaches and uh, palm trees. But uh, more than that, it was the lifestyle. At the time, you know, I came down and, uh, you know, there was, it was at that time in Miami, there was, it was nothing but, you know, beautiful, beautiful people. It was all the models, celebrities, fashion shoots going on all over the place. Uh, you know, it was mostly gay and, and you know, just an all-around friendly place. Every bar that you went to, every club that you went to, it was more, more bars at the time in the 90s, early 90s in Miami, but everybody was welcoming. It wasn't what I was used to growing up in Brooklyn and Staten Island. Mm -hmm. So that you make a move down here in the early 90s, mid-90s, what, is that 94, 95? Well, I started visiting in 92, and then I moved down here, I believe it was... Uh, it was September of 93 that I actually uh, okay. took an apartment and started living here full time. Okay. And, you know, you're having a good time in Miami. You're enjoying Miami. As we all know, there's so many great things about Miami. And you decide to open up a nightclub. Well, it wasn't, it just didn't come, like, obviously, uh, when I was living in Staten Island, I started visiting a lot. 
and you know Staten Island to me you know was starting to get into a lot of trouble I had a lot of you know negative stuff going on in my life at that time and I saved up some money and I knew I wanted to get out of New York I just didn't know what I wanted to do at the time so visiting uh, you know I had a lot of ideas I know when I came down I started looking at different locations to maybe have build a car wash or buy a car wash and you know, the only thing I knew about nightclubs at the time uh, was going out in New York to all Peter Gation's clubs in the early 90s. And, you know, as being a consumer and seeing, you know, uh, uh, you know, I enjoyed going out. I loved the nightlife. I loved the creativity of it. And, you know, coming down to Miami, I saw that there was a niche uh, uh, needed. There was, a, you know, like I said, a great bar scene, but there was no real true nightlife, especially with like a New York style. So I just, you know, um, I started looking at different spaces for lease on both the car wash and the, and the uh, bars and clubs. And when I got back to New York, I received a phone call from some friends that I knew back home that they owned a club that Mickey Rock uh, was involved with at the time. And they heard I was looking for a space and I flew back down and I ended up signing a lease on uh, my first club that was in September of 93. Uh, it ended up, it was called Mickey's at the time when I took the lease over, but, but I ended up changing and opening it uh, in November and uh, called it Risk. Risk. And it, was it, because um, you obviously, we talked uh, off air before and you said, I said, so you had no experience in nightclubs, bars, or clubs when you just wanted to get it going. What was that like, you making the transition into it? Well, like I said, so going out in New York, I got to experience you know the New York style nightlife and I knew down here that I felt at the time you know just to a little shock value different things that they weren't doing down here so once I signed the lease I started scouting and I picked a team of people that I knew you know were involved with New York nightlife promoters such uh, I, I knew a guy at the time named Lord Michael who was uh, a big key player in the New York scene, worked for Peter Gation all throughout the 90s. He had a very, very successful party called uh, Lord Michael's Future Shock. So I knew he knew the club business well, and I approached him about coming down with me and uh, getting involved, which he did. Um, you know, so I ended up putting a, a, a good team together around me, okay. and that's how I really learned the business end of the, the nightclubs. Early on, Chris, what were some of the obstacles that you encountered uh, starting out at risk? Um, well, just, you, you know, everyday business obstacle. I didn't even, you know, I didn't know much uh, signing a lease, getting insurance, you know, uh, liquor license, taxes, you know, all the, the you know, it looks all it's fun and yeah. glitz and glamour, you know, just having people in the club. But there's a, right. there's a real, it's an industry, you right. know, as a business and payroll, taxes, um, you know, just the, the code compliance and the fire marshals and, you know, just the whole uh, nuts and bolts of the business. So it was a learning lesson for me. Um, I didn't make much money doing that club, but I gained a lot of experience. So it was, it was a, you know, it was an intricate part of me uh, evolving into the industry. And you were at uh, risk or ran risk, you know, excuse me, that was your project for... How long were you there? We opened November 15th, I believe, of 1993, and it lasted till April 21st of 1994. And the club, uh, one, one morning, a, a, uh, an electrician that used to work for me comes banging on my apartment door and told me that I need to come down, that the club uh, caught on fire. Oh, wow. 
So, you know, I, I run over to the space and, you know, long story short, it, a cigarette fell in between the banquette. And when my manager uh, closed up, it smoldered and it started like a smoke fire and melted like almost everything in the place. So it was a, it was a total loss. Oh, and of course, I got blamed for it in the beginning, yeah, but it was proven that it was the cigarette <laughs> right. and, and it wasn't me, um, contrary to popular belief. But... Um, you know, so I was devastated to tell you the truth. I put my heart and soul in that place. I had a lot of money invested into it for me at that time. And, you know, uh, that door shut. And fortunately, my landlord, who uh, pretty much owns the whole design district now, Craig Robbins, took a liking to me and believed in me and ended up signing another lease with me on a space two blocks up. Um, so with the knowledge of risk and, uh, you know, my new uh, friendships and stuff that I formed in Miami throughout the year, I ended up opening a club called Liquid, which became one of the hottest yeah. nightclubs in the country at the time. I remember hearing stories about that when I was uh, younger. I'm a little bit younger, not much <laughs> younger, but I actually heard stories about that, and uh, I heard that was, you know, on par with one of the bigger nightclubs nowadays, and even greater, obviously. What was so special about Liquid? Because I heard um, it was very special. Liquid was a combination of a lot of things. It was pretty much the perfect storm. Mm -hmm. You know, it was uh, right at the renaissance of Miami, right when Miami was about to take off. Uh, I opened the same weekend that the Delano opened. Uh, so a lot of celebrities were in town already for their opening. Um, I ended up meeting a, a girl that was uh, very well known uh, with a lot of celebrities and uh, Madonna and you know Naomi Campbell and uh, you know Sylvester Stallone the whole the whole crew at that time so I met her at risk and while I was building liquid I offered uh, her a partnership which she accepted and by the time we opened that club I knew all the locals at that time because mm -hmm. with risk I started a I brought back because in Mickey's, there was a party called Fat Black Pussycat at the time. It was very popular on Monday. It was a real hipster party. Now, why is Monday always the busy night here? Because you know, even when I came down here, there was that place, Tantra, and it was always the Monday night was a big party. Well, to, to be honest, from what I remember, and I'm, you know, I'm talking from 1992, so prior to that, I wasn't down here, but the Monday spot was Fat Black Pussycat. And when I came down, it was already ran its course, and... When I closed the club and reopened it, I brought it back and brought some of the key plays and changed it around and made a separate room of music and did a couple of different tweaks to it. And it just became, uh, it, w it was the party on Monday. There was nowhere else to go. I mean, it was, you know, the, the, the ball plays and stuff that came down during that weekend would, would pray that it was on a, a Sunday game or a Monday. Right, they would right, stay right. over just to come. The rental car places, they would tell me that their business was up on a Monday because people would land and just rent cars, you know, to come. It, it was just the place to be. Right. So uh, after, after uh, you know, launching that Monday, I got to meet all the locals. I mean, I knew all the locals. I knew all the industry people. But, you know, partnering up with Ingrid, she gave me access to the celebrity end of uh, the market. So... Us together were a perfect combination. It really clicked. And, you know, like I said, the opening of the Delano, the bigger New York-style club, we were the first one to really start importing DJs down here. There was no one doing that at that time. So, you know, I, I knew the New York-style nightlife. So opening night, I had Junior Vasquez. Junior Vasquez now is uh, this day and age in comparison to right now Calvin Harris, even bigger. I mean, there was no bigger than this guy in mm -hmm 
in America for sure. So, you know, all these changes and everything that we did, it really exploded and it just hit, hit, hit really hard. So Liquid kills it and you have all kinds of celebrities in there. I have to ask this there. You are, have connections and some close friendships and to a lot of celebrities, but also some very popular female celebrities that your maybe some of the relationships that you've been in I know it might be a little bit awkward. Those are actually some some posters that might have been on the walls so some of the <laughs> young young men in the United States of America. What was it like being young? Because you're a young person and you're dating some of these people. What is that like? I mean, it's got to be a, a very interesting, fun thing. But I mean, that must have been uh, quite an experience. Tell us a little bit about what you can tell us about that. Well, I mean. You know, uh, look, I was like a kid in a candy yeah. store. I opened yeah. my first club, Risk. I was 22 years old. So I look back now and I've, I talk to kids that are working for me at Rockwell now and these promoters and hosts that are in their 20s. And I think to myself, how did I do it? You know, I, I honestly, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But that being said, you know, at 23, I opened Liquid. And the next thing I know is like, you know, the club was so successful. Every night there was different celebrities in there, you know, different supermodels, different, you know, uh, characters, boxers, athletes. It was just, you know, and I had the key to key to the city at that time. By, by 25, I had three nightclubs. I had a restaurant that was really popular. So, I, I mean, I was doing my thing, as they say. And, uh, you know, I was young. I guess I'm not that. I wasn't that bad looking. <laughs> so, it you know, you had a lot of the, good positive the, things. Yeah, a lot of things going for me, and a lot of people wanted to be around that. And you know, uh, you know, to have a, a successful nightlife nightclub, it's uh, you're a celebrity in your own little world, to, per se. Absolutely. So you have a monster run. I remember you one time you told me a story when we were starting the project we've been working on together. Um, that right before you opened, like you were shoving things, like trying to clean up the place, like right before they opened the doors. And it was like, you know, I I immediately thought, get used to working in chaos because nothing's ever going to be perfect. It's always going to be a constant struggle. And they ended up going very well. Did you have any like obstacles that you remember specifically at Liquid, although it went so well? Opening night? Opening night, Oh, opening night was, uh, I mean, it was such a game time decision. It was 9.30 at night. Um, and there are my whole crew con- contract is everybody was around me and says we can't open and I said we have to open we had a, a crowd of people outside already at this time the invites went out the people were there so I just said everybody right now clear so we took everything from all the ladders the work the paint you know we were still welding while they were coming up the stairs and we shoved everything into this back room that we had that eventually became a hip-hop room which uh, you know, started people like Khaled and, and uh, you know, we had a lot of celebrities come through that and perform back in the day. But we piled that room full of stuff and we just shut the lights down. And, and all, I had, all I remember is having a black club and we had these cool little video uh, projections that we had uh, on the walls that brought some life to the place. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it was a black box with good music and some digital law. And this, it just, it, it, from opening night, it just hit. Your busy nights, I mean, they were all busy, I'm sure. But what was it like? How many people in there about? Well, the club, <laughs> it was an upstairs space. So it had everything going against it. It was, a, it was an upstairs space above Payless Shoe Store with a low ceiling. So it didn't have any, like, 
characteristics of a space that, you know, a big grand open space with no columns, but there's something magical about that room that it creates such an energy um, that, you know, when, when people came in, you just felt, it just felt right. Mm. Create Liquid, smash hit, it's unbelievable. And then after Liquid, your next project was, I know you had a string of different projects and uh, uh, many different success. What was your next bigger project? Not even big project, your next project following Liquid. Well, after Liquid, um, uh, my friend Nicola Siervo at the time had a little bar called Bar None that was a very hot spot, but uh, they lost uh, a lot of their business to a new space that opened called Living Room. So at the time, Nicola was actually looking to do a new project, and he brought to me a, uh, he wanted to do a restaurant at the time. So he showed me a little space at the Century Hotel on Ocean Drive, uh, close to where Prime 112 is now, and, you know, asked me if I wanted to get involved. And I told him the only way I'd get involved is if we take the two back rooms and they made it bigger because it was a very small uh, restaurant at the time. And, you know, I ended up... uh, uh, putting up most of the money for the place and building out a restaurant with Nicola, Ingrid, uh, Antonio Martucci, and a guy named Roberto Kahn. And that that restaurant, which became Joya, was one of the the coolest scenes for the next uh, at least five years. You know, at that time, it was it was just a special special place. I mean, Nicola had most to do with it. I, I would say it was just. You know, a lot of the celebrities would come by there, but every night you sat in there, it would be Oliver Stone, Al Pacino, Donald Trump. It was, it was like just a, a meeting spot before the clubs, and all the Italians were in there all the time. It was just a, such a great vibe. People still talk about it. A lot of people reminisce about it. It was a special time in Miami for sure. Well, I was at Joya for, I opened Joya in 1997, January of 97, actually. And then in uh, January of 1998, I launched a a club called Barroom. Barroom was another, you know, uh, smashing success. I mean, it really... uh, Where was that located? That was where Set is now. It's on Lincoln Road between Collins and Washington, where people at that time, nobody went past, you know, uh, 14th Street. So, you know, I was told I'm crazy, it's not going to work. And luckily, I didn't listen to those people. And I opened up and it it was the first they 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 bill it as the first, you know, million dollar lounge at the time, but it was a a very beautiful space, put big chandeliers in there, comfortable furniture. And it was more, you know, an upscale version of liquid was a, 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 a true dance club. And barroom was more of a, a, a high energy, uh, upscale lounge almost okay. to say you know hearing about all these different projects what would you say like the common denominator is you said liquid was like the perfect storm it had so many great things going for it just the room great energy celebrities but what do you think the number one uh, factor is with all these places that why you were able to do so I mean you're it's obviously because you were involved but there's a lot of little things that go on, as we talked about before, that go on behind the scenes, and people don't really know they're happening, but those are the very things that are keeping them going. What would you say is uh, one of the biggest factors that keeps them all going and made them a success or the success that they were? Um, on my, my part, I, I don't honestly can't pinpoint one thing. It's, uh, you know, risk was, was kind of like a fluke. I opened a place, had no idea what I was doing, but I created something that a lot of locals found cool, something different that nobody was doing. So after that, 
they, you know, when I opened Liquid, they said, okay, we'll check this out. You know, they were coming to my place already. Then with the celebrities, it was just a smash. Then after that, it's more about, you know, the hype. You know, if, if, if people are talking about you and, you know, they're excited to see your next step, you're going to draw them, you know. So you could put a rope in front of a bathroom, but if they know the right people there, they're going to want to get into it. And they, I mean, um, I can only imagine the lines outside of these places before you open. How do you, how do you actually pick the people that come inside the spot? We got to get the information because there's people all over Miami trying to figure out how to get inside these places. <laughs> you got to know someone, what's, what's going on? Well, nowadays a lot different than back then. Back in the 90s, it was, you know, it was more about the club and, and less about the hosts and the promoters. Nowadays, you have all the people back, back then were just happy to get in and bring a, a cr crowd and have their own table and have a good time. Nowadays, anybody who has a, a high social media following or could bring 10 girls into a club get paid to do it. So it's, it's, you know, it's not as organic as it was uh, in the 90s. It's still fun, but back then it was, it was the look, it was the, the, the mixture, it was you know, the, the quality, how many girls to guy ratio. You were able to really curate and pick a good door at the time because there was a lot more color in Miami at that time. Like I said, there was a lot of gay people, there was a lot of transvestites, drag queens. So there was color, there was club kids, there was model. It was just a mixed melting pot. Now, uh, unfortunately, it's become more of a you know, segregated, this is a hip hop club, this is a house club, this is a gay club. So it, they don't really mix anymore. Right. And a lot of them, you know, I've heard some of the conversations and which leads us into your new project now, Rockwell. They're not even as big anymore. Like I remember these mega nightclubs in maybe like Vegas or Miami, like the Stories or the Lives. Those are huge, amazing clubs. But it almost feels like they're, they're transitioning away from those bigger clubs, right? Well, I think like anything in, 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 in life, uh, everything's cyclical. So, I mean, I remember the early 90s and the Peter Gation days and these mega clubs. And I'm talking mega clubs. This guy owned the city. It was uh, Palladium, Tunnel, Limelight, USA. So... Then that, that mega club phase went out and it went more towards uh, lounges and places like uh, Spy Bar and Chaos and there were smaller, uh, more intimate venues. So I think with the big DJ craze over the last, I would say, seven or eight years uh, and them filling venues that could hold three, 4,000 people, I think that that, that phase has, has winding down and, you know, I... I believed in that, and that's why I took a bet on it. And I think the mega clubs right now and the bigger clubs are going to have to find something else to, to move the needle and to bring the masses of people in right now because there's only a, a certain few DJs in the world that are doing it instead of every, every uh, Tom, Dick, and Harry. Now, all of a sudden, it's harder to fill these venues. You can't make enough money to pay these DJs. So I think that the, it's, we're in a cycle right now, and you know, opening Rockwell is a mid-sized club. You know, it looks good with 150 people in it, but you could also hold five, 500, 600 people in there. So it is, it's big enough to have a great party, but it's small enough to be intimate. Right. So, you know, I bet on it, and so far it's been a, a good bet. You know. yeah. I've been there, and I, I like it very much, and that's exactly why I like it, because it seems a little bit intimate. It's not huge. You can't really get lost in there, which I think is good, because you go out to be social, so you want to be around the people, right. not completely spread out. So I think that's actually a, a great thing, and it's a beautiful place. It's well done, so congrats on that. Thank you very much. Um, why the name Rockwell? 
Um, I wish I could take credit for this one. I usually pick the names on the places, uh, but my brother Keith actually, you know, we were throwing names around me, my partner Mio, and, and a few other people that work for us. And, um, you know, he, he threw out the, uh, the name Rockwell. He got it out of, uh, there was two verses, one uh, in a Nas song, and he says, rock, uh, it ain't hard to tell that I rock well. And then there's a Beastie Boys, Boys song that says, uh, I have a castle in Brooklyn because I rock well. That's and right. so he, you know, when he said the name, all of us right away, just we, we loved it. That's a great name. That's a great name. I like it. And you uh, transition. I know there was a, I mean, being in the nightlife industry, I have a, a close friend in Montreal who owns a, a beautiful restaurant called Buena Norte up there in Montreal. Shout out to my friend, uh, Massimo Lekis, who does a great job. And I always say, how do you do that every night? And I know you you do it at night and then you, you're in, involved, we are involved in another project in the day and it must take a toll on you. How do you keep going through that? Because it is a vicious schedule, it's a tough schedule. Well, it's, it is a tough schedule, but you know what? It's, it's almost like, uh, you know, some of these nights, a lot of these nights I could go home early, but you know, as many people in the nightlife industry say they're over it, they're sick of it, they, they want to get out of it. Every time we try to get out, every time we want to do something different, it, it's, it's, it pulls you back in. It really does. It's a, it's a love for the business, but it's also a hate. So, um, you know, I, I fault myself, but I feel like even this club, I put together a really strong team of younger people uh, that, that are excited to go out, that look forward to going out. And I said to myself, I'm not going to spend as much time. I'm going to help build this place, launch the place. You know, God willing, it gets going, and then I'm going to back off a little bit. But since we've been open, I haven't backed off. You know, yeah. it's one of those things that if you feel – if you're not there, it's, it's it's not running right. Something's wrong. The lighting's off. The sound is off. The, you know, the the wrong people are in the club. It's just something that you feel, you know, if you're a perfectionist or you love what you do, you feel you have to be, a, you know, hands-on uh, at all times. And I think that's just it. I mean, the very reason that you, you have your success or people have their success is because they're so involved in it and so committed. So it's hard to step back knowing that it's like washing your car, right? You could take your car to the car wash, but no one's going to detail your car like you will. No one does. I used to detail when I first got a new, new car. Didn't happen until I was in my uh, mid twenties, but <laughs> I detailed that car once a week. Yeah, and I was I, one of those guys. Yeah. I would see a puddle and I'd make a U-turn <laughs> and go around the yeah. other way. But exactly, the car's not coming out in the rain. <laughs> but um, you know, that, that's why you're successful because it's important. All the details are so important. I've learned that being around many people. Um, what do you look for in your team? Because I know you mentioned you're a business partner, Mio, and you have a strong team at Rockwell, and of course I know Leah. What, who do you, uh, excuse me, what do you look for in these people? Well, you, you need passionate people, people that really love what they do. Uh, that's, you know, that's their life. They're not afraid to work. They're not afraid. They don't, it's not, it's, it's not a, a nine to five, you know, clock in, clock out. It's one of those things, you know, that, Money, all of that, you know, I didn't get involved with the night. Of course, money's, you know, a driving factor in all businesses. But, you know, I, I was making no money at risk. And when the fire happened, I was devastated. But it was like, I guess I found something I was passionate about. So I couldn't wait to get back in the nightlife business. So like anything else, you find people that are passionate about what they do um, and take pride 
in what they do, you know, that, that's the horse you got to bet on. Right. You know, it's right. it's it's uh, exactly why uh, you know we uh, we're in the partnership. You know, um, you know, I I heard about you, I. Uh, you know, everybody who talks about you so high, you know, so highly, such a perfectionist and people that I really trust. And uh, that's how we ended up teaming up. And, you know, uh, the rest is history. They were they were 100 percent right. And I couldn't be happier to have you as a partner in uh, our project. Well, likewise. And I, I really appreciate that. I really do. Um, I've been fortunate to be a part of. Now we can talk about our project, Anatomy. What made you? That's a debt, a totally different ball game from nightclubs, obviously. <laughs> and um, it was it's just a brilliant thing. Tell us, tell us some about Anatomy. Um, why it came to fruition? Because I know I always had this these thoughts and ideas. I wanted to make something special, make something special, and then I meet a person in yourself that wants to do something very similar, which is a beautiful thing. Well, the the the, the timing for me was, you know. Um, I just finished, uh, you know, I launched the, uh, de- relaunched the Delano uh, when I came back to Miami in 2011. And I was, uh, you know, in charge of running a small nightclub called FDR at the time. So being back, uh, you know, I became, uh, you know, close to David Grutman, who, you know, is uh, the, the biggest right now out in Miami, which live. And, you know, we started talking about a, a club amnesia, that wasn't doing well. And, you know, I kind of uh, put a fire on his ass to to try and make a deal happen and take that club over because it would have ended up being competition to his club uh, eventually. So I figured, you know, we could control the market. So me and him teamed up and we opened Story and Story was a, a, a big success, a huge success. And two years into it, his company got bought out by another larger company, a public company, and uh, they wanted, they wanted you know, they wanted my end of the club and they asked me, uh, you know, they, they wanted to buy my shares. So at that time, I was like, you know what? I think this is a perfect time to exit nightlife. You know, I was in a successful club, but I kept going home saying, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously I, I got bought out. So in that process, I signed a two-year non-compete where I couldn't do any more nightclubs in Miami at the time. So it kind of forced me to you know do something else and at that time I opened up a little spa at the Delano and I took over a lease uh, for the spa at the, on the rooftop and I partnered up with a doctor at the time to does like in the anti-aging and wellness field and I knew the spa setting was not the right setting for that anti-aging wellness and and you know uh, longevity uh, field so you know I, I wanted to Basically, the two things that I enjoyed doing growing up was working out and going out to nightclubs. So when I opened up a nightclub, you know, I had my fun. I had everything, but I kind of ruined going out for myself because I can't walk into a nightclub without saying, wow, what's off with these lights? Look at the waitress. She's not picking up. So, you know, you pick the place apart. So I should have known better. And when I opened up the gym, now I don't enjoy working out as much, but (laughs) we created something really special that I'm very, very proud of. And it showed that, you know. Um, you know, when you put your mind to something, no matter what field it is, if you work hard, um, you know, you have a, a big chance to do something different. And, and I think what we created there is really special. And I think, uh, you know, everybody feels the same. I get a lot of, uh, it doesn't matter where I go, everybody talks so highly of the of anatomy. Yeah. It's just a great energy. Yeah. A gentleman 
told me this morning that it's like a, a private oasis away from everything. So, you know, it's, um, you know, thank you for uh, all your hard work in, in, in doing everything uh, that you've done because it's a, it really is a special thing. Just having the community and the team. We have a great team, too. Good people. We have a great team, Mark. You're um, mostly responsible for that. The oh, team you put together and the work that you've put into it. Uh, like I said many times over, I couldn't ask for a better partner. And I think... Uh, you know, we have a, a, a great synergy between us and what we created. We'd both be really proud of it, you know. Well, no one can see this. They can just hear us. But I'm canning Chris stacks of 50s to say those nice things. So <laughs> I'm losing all my money. But in all seriousness, I, I, I do appreciate that. But you, he, this guy works hard. One quick story I always, I always tell is that before we opened Anatomy, we had a big opening party at Anatomy. The night before, I have uh, these this vision in my mind of Chris Bocello standing inside a dumpster <laughs> trying to clear out all the trash and it's not 11 o'clock at night I think it was two three in the morning and we're trying to clean the place out because we we're going to have 15 1600 people at our party the next day our opening party and uh this guy likes to work and that's that's one thing that you, you know someone's a worker. When they're a worker, they like to get their hands dirty, they like to be involved, and they like to do things themselves. And there's not a lot of people like that out there. Well, the main thing, like, like, like I've always uh, prided myself in is, you know, when I walk into one of my, my places, my club, you know, I go sit with the busboy, I'll shake his hand, I'll have a drink with the security. It doesn't matter, you know. You treat everyone... Uh, as you would treat yourself, you know, and let them see that you don't think you're better than them. You work hard, you know, they could all do the same thing. You know, they, it doesn't take it. I'm not a rocket scientist. I just work hard and I, you know, put my foot forward and I'm willing to take chances. And, you know, like what staff member, look, I didn't even realize that you even took notice to it back that time. But, you know, by you seeing me in the garbage and, and a, a, a a maintenance guy they all okay this guy you know they'll take pride in what they do so I, I always notice like even in sports like my I, obviously sports background you see I don't mind working with someone or you actually work harder for someone when they're side by side doing it with right you, exactly you know, so exactly instead of just throwing yeah. orders and being the boss exactly that, that being said what, what do you think your strengths are in business for yourself. Like everyone has their strong suit. I noticed that, you know, when we're, you know, at the club, uh, anatomy that is, you know, everyone knows you and you do, you remind me of, uh, I mean this in the most positive way, one of my favorite people in the world, Sharif Malnick, who always has time for everyone. What do you think your strengths are in business? Is it the social component uh, or what would you say it is? Um, you know, the social component is crazy because I was very shy growing up. You know, I would, uh, I, I would hide in my, in my mother's arms if she went to introduce me to someone. But that being said, is, uh, when, when you're around people, when, I'm a, when I walk into a club, I, like I said, I make sure I give everyone, I'll get up, shake a hand, go get a drink for someone. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, do, I'll sh do what I can to make them feel welcome, comfortable, and that they're, you know, they're in they're in a place that they're they wanted you know if you walk into a place and someone doesn't say hello to you and you know that's the owner it's like what does he think he's better than me so socially you know um i make myself available for as much as i can and 
and successful, I, like I said, I, I, I guess if I look and thought about open, when I opened my first club, if I look back now, now that I, I, I've been in the business for so long and I've had you know, a lot of success and some failures, you look and you're like, if you overanalyze and think too much before you do it, you'll never do it. You right. just got to try it, right. you know, eventually it'll happen. I, you know, I signed leases before I had the money. I don't, you know, I just know somehow it always comes together right. and it really does. Yeah. I, I read a quote yesterday that said the trick to uh, being successful is starting before you're ready. It's the truth. Yeah. If you could prepare and prepare and prepare and prepare, but if you don't take that step forward, you're never going to get anything accomplished. Sure. How many times do you hear, you know, I want to do this, Mark, or, hey, Chris, I got this great idea, but I'm just waiting, making sure I'm ready when I'm ready, and ready is five, six, seven years, and then someone's done it, and then you miss your shot. Yeah, look, I, like you're thinking about listening to uh, motivational stuff, yeah, like yeah. you turn me on to that, and today you hear, I heard something while I was working out, I had one of these speakers on, and he's saying the most, uh, the richest place on, on earth is the graveyard. Because so many people die with their dreams and things they'll never accomplish and, and inventions that'll never happen. And you think about that, and it's so true. So true. It's a powerful statement. Les Brown, man. So true. Um, so those are the strengths. I mean, you know, it's uh, you go to a club, and, and the owner of the club gets you a drink. That makes you feel special, and that makes you feel like this person really wants you there, as you said. And that's a, that's a very – it's such a hospitable thing. Who told me, uh, I might have been Mark Roberts, he said, you can't, you can teach people service, but you can't teach them how to be hospitable. Is that true? Um, I never heard Mark say it, but there's definitely some truth to that. I mean, you know, growing, growing in the business and I've had some, some legends come into the place like Giuseppe Cipriani and, and, um, Robert and people from Paris. And they told me, you know what, you know, watch me work and go in to grab a drink for someone to and and they tell you how much they appreciate it you know anybody could go say hey go get them a drink go do this go do that or give them drink ticket but for you to go run to the bar for a guy that's you know uh, a, a waiter in a restaurant it makes them feel special it makes them feel on par with you and they they enjoy coming to your place so you know that's something about me now on the other hand if someone expects it of me I can't do it, you know, if you just like, uh, I have to do it and feel that I'm doing it because I want to do it, mm -hmm. and then I enjoy it. Well, I guess it's all about the approach, like if someone's going to be a little bit arrogant about it and they want you to maybe carry Yeah, someone, go get me a drink, that's not happening. Yeah, that's not, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't think so, that's not the best approach. Um, so in, in regards to business, so we talked about the strengths and the positive, your positive attributes, and we all have things that we like to improve or work on. What's something that you could uh, mention that you really like to improve in business? Well, the first thing that came to my mind is obviously, you know, I've had a, a temper many times over. You know, I had a very short fuse and, you know, it's uh, unfortunately it's gotten me into a lot of trouble over the years. But thank God, I think I have that under control. Um, knock wood. <laughs> but other than that, um, more, um, you know, I, I, I consider myself a leader, but I, I, I lack a lot of leadership qualities. Like, I, I, you know, I hate talking in front of people. I hate speaking unless it's a one-on-one -on -one, uh, atmosphere. I, I don't like to public speak. I don't like to do pre-shifts with the staff, things like that, which I wish I, I would step up and do it a little bit more because it would mean a lot more. Mm -hmm. 
Well, that's uh, one of my weaknesses, I believe. Okay. Um, you know, it's interesting about the, the speaking thing. <laughs> Even myself, there's, there's so many people out there who think they're great public speakers, and they're probably not. And then you have a person like yourself who doesn't like to speak, but it's probably better than the people who think they're great public speakers. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, I, I, I have no problem speaking to anybody, but to get in front of a, a, a big crew or the whole staff and do it, and they want to hear from you. You know, as much yeah. as you, you know, you think they, they do want to hear from you. That, by the way, that's the number one, the number one fear. The number one fear of, of, in, in front of death, public speaking. Well, it hasn't skipped me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, uh, next is uh, three words. So we're getting into some, some quick questions here. I have a f few more, you know, uh, there might be more, you know, uh, lengthy answers, but and then we'll get into like a power round where I ask you quick questions. You can give me like one shot answers, but a few more big ones here. Three words that best describe you, Chris. Wow. Uh, motivated. Uh, hungry, if that's different. And. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Those are definitely different. Uh, third word, let's see. Uh, motivated, hungry. Um, a risk taker. What do you look for when you take on a new project? We talked about the staff when you look for a team. Well, what are you looking for? Because, you know, we get so many ideas thrown our way. Well, what do you look for when you see a project of, wow, this could really be a success? Well, I've always, uh, I've had a couple of good things going for me. I've always had good timing and I've always had good vision. You know, I could see, uh, go to a different city. I could come, you know, and I could see pretty much, I think, you know, um, what's needed or what's missing, what's lacking and what would work. And uh, that's always guided me, my gut, you know, knowing that, you know, why I think I could do this. And then, you know, I just take that, that, that uh, initiative and go for it. Who do you look up to in business? Like, what business mogul do you really just really appreciate their career, what they do, the moves they make, how they handle themselves, how they handle their staff, their team, their employees, uh, just their, their choices. You know what? It's another, uh, I should have put that in, but I, you know, I get hit too quick, but humbleness, you know, I, I, okay. I consider myself very humble for, you know, if somebody talks about how great the club is, how great yeah. this is, I, I, you know, I, I don't even like hearing compliments or things like that. It makes me uncomfortable. So I, I definitely have humility, especially nowadays compared to the early night. I guess, you know, you're young and all these big things happening to you. You could get a little cocky. Yeah. But, you know, this I love I love humbleness with successful people. Someone that they do the work, they're successful, but they, they don't ride their own wave of shit. You know, it just, you know, for me, hum, hum, humility is the best. Right. I think you're absolutely humble for, you know, having experienced some of the things you experience and, and being at certain uh, levels of accomplishment in your life. I think you're very humble. And I have a friend, you have the same friend that always says, act like you've been there before. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so definitely humble. Thank you. Um, mentor. Who would you say your, your mentor is in, uh, through this through, over the years? Well, I have a, f a few people that I could go to and always uh, know I'm going to get the right advice, uh, the best they could give me, and there's no uh, trying to get me to hear what I want to hear. They tell me as it is. Sharif Malnick, as you mentioned before, has been, 
you know, uh, a, a, a very, very dear friend to me since the minute moving down to Miami as a, as a punk thug from Staten Island, Brooklyn. He, you know, basically put me under his wing, as to say, and, and you know, taught me to be a, a more of a gentleman, more of a man. Um, you know, as Andrew Sasson is another guy that's, uh, you know, worked with me when we were younger and uh, has accomplished a lot in, in the uh, nightlife industry. And he's, uh, he doesn't get enough credit for, for what he's meant to the industry. He's another person I'd love to run ideas by. And, um, you know, and then throughout the years, meeting, you know, super successful and intelligent people like, like Randy, for instance, mm -hmm. he's uh, someone that, you know, that you have to respect, you have to you, you listen to because you know he's been there and he's, he's done it and his just brain just thinks on a different level. And, you That's know, sure. you can appreciate uh, smart people, you know? Yeah. And, and one thing with Randy, it always seems like he's got every really, you know, you don't have this feeling too often in your life. You always feel like he has everyone's best interest at heart, which is very interesting. A lot of people don't have the... Uh, I don't know. The There's always an angle yeah, or something yeah, that, you know, yeah, they don't want to yeah. give the truth. He says it how it is. He yeah. has no filters. Yeah. But, you know, he's one of the guys that let it off to be a little tougher than they are, but they're really uh, uh, a good-hearted, yeah. uh, uh, you know, great person, always looking out for you. It's refreshing. I don't know how he, how he does it. Um, okay, last big one. What advice would you give to a young and up-and-coming uh, entrepreneur or maybe a promoter or maybe just someone in the industry, the club business, or just someone who starts starting off a business project? What advice would you give to them that you think would be most beneficial? Maybe uh, uh, older, more mature, wiser Chris Pacella would give to himself starting out in the business. It's pretty much everything that we discuss, you know. Um, you have a dream, you have a goal, and, you know, like everybody, it's cliche to say, you know, don't let people tell you you can't do it. You know, I was told when I was a kid that, you know, I was trying to borrow money to open up a bar at one point, and the guys tell me it's like handing you a grenade. Uh, it's, you know, you're crazy. But, you know, as many people as tells you, you know, you're going to fail, just go for it. That's it. If you, you believe something, and you have to believe in it, it's just something you don't want to do because you think you can make money or you think you could, uh, you know, get a little notoriety from it or something. You have to be passionate about it, believe, what, believe in yourself, and, and just don't take no for an answer. Just right. start. You know, like I said, if, if you're never going to be fully ready. You just the steps come and it, it falls into place and you just keep working and you know if you start a project you'll get to the end line if you start it if you don't start it it's never going to happen absolutely all right so now we're going to uh i'm going to fire some questions there because <laughs> i've had here a long time and I'm gonna start firing some questions at you what do you miss most about new york Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> oh, I'm shocked. New York is in your face. You know, I love visiting New York for two days, but when I land in Miami and I see those palm trees, I'm very happy. That's funny to hear. <laughs> Best borough to live in in New York? You know, I, I, I haven't spent time there in so long. I mean, I love Brooklyn. Yeah. Brooklyn was a great borough. It's, I still is. I love going back for, you know, food and uh, different, you know, uh, type of things like that, that, I, that you can't really get here, like the best pizza, the best pomoni, things like that, you know? Okay. Of all, through all the years, your, your most fun, your most memorable, probably your favorite business project you've worked on was? 
My favorite business project that I worked on. You know, the easiest one that I've done so far that didn't cause me as much stress and I kind of appreciate it and, and, and really, really helped put it together for such a small amount of money and made such a big impact was this Rockwell. Okay. Rockwell was, uh, was probably the most pain, painless build out that I've done to date. Experience. Yep. Uh, favorite book? Uh, I would say The Alchemist. It's uh, a great book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Favorite TV show? I don't watch TV, but I'll tell you what. I just watched that Pablo uh, Escobar one, the uh, oh, Netflix. Right. Yeah, I heard, I heard it, it was, was, it was It was great. I it was, it was great. I really enjoyed it. Favorite movie? You know what? Um, the Last Samurai. Wow. That's right. That's a great movie. That's an old school. An old school that's movie. movie. You would know, say King of New York yeah. or one of those movies, yeah. but no, The Last Samurai really was a great movie. The original or the one with Tom Cruise? The one with Tom Cruise. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, now that's. And he's not even one of my favorite right. actors. Just the movie, the story was yeah. a great story. Uh, favorite thing to do on your day off? Sleep. <laughs> Man, that's like anyone. In the Watch a movie. It's. Like yeah, don't talk to me. <laughs> favorite restaurant in Miami. The Forge, of course. Of course. In the U.S.? In U.S.? Uh, I don't think I've had any guests on this show who have said anything other than The Forge. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's loyalty. <laughs> you know, uh, I'll tell you, I really like Carbone in New York. I, I've never been, but I hear Excellent. great things. And, um, okay, favorite food? Italian. Favorite artist? I said favorite artist Nas or Jay Z. Oh, Nas for sure, <laughs> by far. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing at the next one. Absolutely. Jay Z's no joke. Obviously. He's great, yeah. but Nas is uh, you know he's legend. That's loyalty. Mm. Madonna or J Lo? Madonna. For sure, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Chris. Thank you very much for your time. Honestly, uh, I know I kept you here a long time, but we really appreciate it. And um, really, thank you for everything. Oh, it was my pleasure. Was thank awesome. you for having awesome me. Having and you. I'm glad it wasn't that painful. <laughs> I got through it. Let's, uh, you, you want to plug anything? I'm assuming it'd be Rockwell. Why don't you tell everyone about Rockwell, a, little, a quick plug for Rockwell and what night and uh, invite them on in. Oh, Mon- Rockwell's open Monday, Friday, and Saturday. And... Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not about the DJs, it's not about the big house music DJs, just a, a, a normal uh, open format club, but it's got a great energy, people love the room, and uh, you know, we're proud of what we have, so come by, check it out. It's awesome, for sure. Go check out Rockwell, and thank you very much, Chris. Much appreciated. Thank you, brother. Thank you. My pleasure.